now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. After this week, every single one of those tracks just makes me long for a time when we weren't all about to murder each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, literally and figuratively. Yes. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Well, strap in, folks. <laughs> this one's gonna get a little blue. <laughs> Race gun violence. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh boy. On that note, welcome back, guys. <laughs> it's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi guys. Hey Nick. Hi. Hi. Um, all the fun stuff before we get started. Uh, if you guys like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, guest suggestions, anything like that, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics on there. Uh, the podcast, Spotify, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Uh, and then we are partnered with uh, Predicted, which, if you're new or haven't been around recently, uh, is a real money political prediction market, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy or sell shares in future political events. Um, what's great for our listeners, uh, Barstool Politics listeners who use the promo link when opening up a new account uh, will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. So open up a $20 account, Predicted will match that $20, giving you $40 to use. Quick math. Um, like I said, just use the promo link predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20 uh, to check it out. Uh, I'm assuming lots of movement in uh, presidential favorability and a likelihood of re-election over the past week or so on Predicted. <laughs> um, so check that out. I know I will be. <laughs> the primary stuff has just been fascinating to watch the movie. You know, it's, it's moving all over the place. Harris is going down in flames, apparently. Yeah. <clears throat> Tulsi Gabbard is just latched onto her jugular and will not let go. <laughs> and there's a lot of fantastic. people that are excited about her, right? Mm-hmm. There's been some movement unpredicted as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the libertarian never-Trump group seems to really like her. Which uh, is weird. Yeah. Ru- Russia also really likes her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. She's her for... Yeah. I, that's, I, I'm, I'm interested in her, but the foreign policy stuff is hard to wrap my head around. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I we, we can go into this in some other yeah. thing later on, but I, there's... I, there, after the debate, she was the most Googled person in like all 50 states. Like the the number of like Russian bots and stuff that are supporting. This does not mean that you listeners shouldn't necessarily support her. But uh, the fact that Russia has latched onto her is an interesting thing, and yeah. I could see that being a thing later on, once there is a nominee that is not her doing the sort of you know divide yeah. against the outside candidate, try to kind of drag support away from whoever the Democrat is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's I think that that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, like we said, yeah. we've got to talk about the big stuff. Bill, why don't you fill us in? All right, so we start today with Christ. the back-to-back mass shootings over the weekend that killed 31 people and wounded many more. According to federal law for- enforcement officials, the gunman wrote that he feared, quote, Hispanic invasion of Texas was replacing white Americans. In his manifesto, the gunman noted that he drew uh, some inspiration from the white nationalist terrorist attack in Christchurch, New Zealand. That had left 51 people dead. Uh, The events prompted many to condemn white nationalism, including former President Barack Obama, Senator Ted Cruz, and President Trump. On Monday, Trump offered public public remarks stating, quote, In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy, unquote. Mr. Trump went on to denounce ideologies of hate, saying, quote, Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul, unquote. That's That's some good writing there. Uh, Of course, many have noted that Trump often dabbles in the very divisive language he was denouncing. At a deeper level, the attacks confirm that the U.S. is facing a serious white nationalist terrorist threat, a threat which raises the question of what to do with online communities like 8chan, uh, which enable individuals with violent, racist, and otherwise hateful views to congregate, communicate, and collaborate with each other. And finally, the incident forces us to reckon with the president's own rhetoric and how it may enable or embolden white nationalist groups. Phil, there's a lot to talk about. Where would you like to start? Uh, there's so much to <laughs> yeah. talk about. I, I, I don't really know where. To, I found this this particular. I mean, it's become so common and so you know every day. Literally, I mean, there have been more mass shootings in the U.S. than there have been days in the year so far. So, uh, it's not not an exact. It's not a. a figure of speech to say it's become an everyday thing um this one for whatever reason just i mean i texted you so it just made me it it pissed me off it made me mad the whole whole thing and i i found myself thinking about our conversation last week where we were discussing you know what do you do about trump's rhetoric and again whether he intends to inspire these people or not um there is that effect that comes in into this and so that you know there's multiple levels of discussion there but yeah i kept find myself coming back to it the 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 debate or the question that we had last week about you know do you highlight this and critique it when the president talks about i mean the, the language the language that this guy had in his manifesto it was not direct quotes of the president but it was the same sorts of terms and terminology that he used talking talking about invasions and and uh, you know and whatnot going to el paso specifically the guy drove nine hours from Dallas to do this. Um, and I, it, it made me feel kind of bad about our discussion where we had this kind of intellectual conversation about, about racism when, you know, there are, you know, it's, it's easy for us, a bunch of white guys to sit around and have an intellectual discussion about it when we're not the, the target of it. I don't know which, you know, I, 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 in the short term, I settled on this idea of uh, we were, I was wrong to even sort of debate it, right? You call it out, right? Mm-hmm. This is, this is having this negative uh, impact and, and to get engaged in debates about whether the president is, you know, to talk about his heart or what his intentions are seems kind of beyond the point in some ways in that this is the effect of that language. So just quit using that language, whether it's, you know, whether it's what's in his heart or not. It, 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 so I don't know. I mean, it, it also comes back to around this national debate that we this national fascination we have with guns. And it just feels right, we've talked about this before. And it uh, maybe you maybe I'll ask this question and see how you respond. Um, we've talked about before how it feels hopeless, right? That we've we have this debate. This happens over and over. We debate guns, um, but it's such a part of our culture and kind of our political institutions that even though what like eighty 
five ninety percent of Americans support you know limits on on uh, guns, it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. The reaction to this felt a little different to me. It felt like the the anger from a lot of people. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, do you is are we just doomed to this over and over again? I think there's. I mean, this is a question. Of there's race. Yeah. There's also guns. There's right. all sorts of elements in this, right? Go I, ahead. I, I guess I would I would separate. So there's there's two angles. There is the the gun debate, which is a, a very important one, and I feel more hopeless about that. Um, and we can we can dive into that. I think that might be interesting. And then there's the the sort of the white nationalist, uh, you know, the white violence discussion as well. That I felt a little better about. I mean, Ted Cruz, who I don't oftentimes defend, Ted Cruz, he came out fairly early and was, you know, condemning what happened there, saying that we can't accept this. This isn't who we are as a country. And that felt really good to see that. President Trump's remarks, where we will see whether his actions will live up to that rhetoric. But he said all of the right things. Uh, and he read them, you know, he read them. And that's important, right? And, and again, yeah. he, whether he believes them or not, we can dive into that as well. But I see them as, as two just, I mean, obviously, they overlap and intertwine. Right. But I'm the, the gun debate, at our best, I mean, at, at the best, we'll, we'll come up with some minor legislation that would, but not really make much of a difference. Uh, the white nationalism but, one, I'm, I'm more hopeful on. I, I sort of wonder if that's a generational thing, though. Mm-hmm. If, if it's not going to be, uh, you know, an overnight change. Who knows? You know, there, it's hard to predict what sort of keystone events will shift public opinion. But it does feel like if we look, I mean, it's sad to talk about it this way, but I, I think if we look 40 years down the road, I think there will be enough sort of cultural and sort of generational change that you will see some real shifts in sure. gun control policy. I, I'm not real hopeful that that's going to happen in the next you know, year. Sure. And when those changes happen, you're right that they occur quickly. I guess what disheartened me about the whole gun conversation is that suddenly video games and mental health was out there again, right? right? Those right. are the issues. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> right. Right. Do you know that? And right. I, I thought we'd, I mean, the the data on video games, I mean, Nick, you probably know this better than that. I mean, it's overwhelming that video games, there's no connection between Absolutely that right. and violence. No. Uh, and same, similarly with mental health as well. Every, every country in the world has video games. Right. Japan. No, Japan doesn't have video games. That's <laughs> right. why there's no mass shootings yes. there, you know, minus that guy who set the building on fire. Right, and, yeah. You know, the subway attack. And, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it, it's an interesting debate. Realistically, I, I understand the viewpoint of people saying that this is a, a white nationalist, white supremacist problem. Who is responsible for the actions of the kid in Dayton then? Right. Yeah. Who? Oh, yeah. No, but I'm, I'm asking who. Because he was not sure. a white nationalist or a white supremacist. Sure. He was exceptionally left-wing. Yeah. Uh, retweeting Antifa and calling the guy who shot up the, the ICE detention facility mm-hmm. a martyr. Who is responsible for his actions? What made him do that? This is not as much as we want to say, and it's easy to say that this is a white nationalist, white supremacist problem. This is a rhetoric problem. And you want well, to talk about it from a gun, a, a gun control perspective? The rhetoric coming out of Congress is the reason why it's never going to happen. They need these issues mm-hmm. to garner as much support as possible because we've gone mm-hmm. so far to the fringes that the only way to garner even more support is to make the opposition the other. Sure. is some horrendously awful thing that you can't afford to lose against. On top of that, you have young people, especially young people, who are constantly told that... The world is fucking falling apart around him. This kid was, 
in 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 a bunch of his friends said he would be in tears over immigration and climate change and a host of other issues that were not related to you know, an invasion of just brown people. It was coming from the complete opposite perspective. I'm not saying either of them are right. They're both fucking monsters. But this is a much more nuanced debate than, like, realistically, I had to dig through 10 articles to find even a mention that this kid wasn't the same as mm -hmm. the, um, the, the El Paso, the, the El Paso guy. You, so, you would never fucking yeah. know it unless you looked for it. But the, the fact that he's different doesn't mean that it's not, that, that the white nationalism didn't play a role in the oh, first no. shooting or that it hasn't Absolutely played a not. role. I mean, it's one of those things where we, I do feel like we, you're right in, in that we try to boil it down to one thing too often when, you know, we talk about how, you know, more than one thing can be true. And it feels like, you know, I, I, I was looking at some of the research, um, you know, there, there are some factors in mass shootings. Like they've done lots of studies of people who commit mass shootings and there are common factors like, uh, well, access to guns, right? So, I mean, the gun, you know, this is not just a gun problem, but it is a gun problem, right? By addressing access to guns and, and, and the types of, like, the, the, the magazines that, that the guy in Dayton was using, the, the, the weapons the guy in, in El Paso was using, it's, I, it's, it's, well, I mean, I think it's ridiculous that those are yeah. legal and, and, and available in, in the United States. So it is a gun problem. There's also, you know, uh, the the uh, the mental people who talk about mental health that that plays into it in some ways. Um, I think that the danger is that people think of mental health, uh, you know, mental health spans such a wide variety of, of issues. Um, and it's like a very specific type uh, the guy in Dayton. Um, he, he was leftist. But he also had this long history of real issues, right? right. Threatening to, he had a, a, a kill list, he had a rape list, he mm -hmm. had a long history of like misogyny and, and issues related to that. Um, and and had, had had issues for a long time. So, you know, one of the other things that comes up is that some sort of childhood trauma, some sort of, you know, uh, like suicidal depression type thoughts. Now, um, you know, and that's an example where, you know, every, the vast majority of people who have access to guns don't do this. The vast majority of people who have mental health issues don't do this. Mm -hmm. But but we should address both of them. Sure. Right. White nationalists, the, the white nationalism stuff is coming up increasingly with 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 the people who are doing these sorts of things. And so, yeah, I mean, it, there's not one picture of what it looks like, but there are some pretty common threads and it feels like we get so busy arguing over them that we don't address any of them. We should be addressing all of them, right? This is insane that this continues to happen and that nothing is being done about sure. it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an important point that you're, you're right, Nick, not all gun violence is right wing violence. But there is also a unique category there. I mean, we can talk about access to guns and the individuals who have access to guns and using them. But there also is this unique development that's happened over the last 10 years. And people have been talking about it. The FBI has been talking about the, the, the increased activity and violence among these right-wing groups. Uh, and it's, it's on par now with Islamic terrorism in the United States, right, in terms of the actual numbers. Well. No, but yes. No, it is. When you look at like <clears> this, sure. if you take 9-11 out of it, sure. Well, we're, we're, <laughs> right. right. But if you look, I mean, you look over the last decade, right? So obviously 9-11 is, is going to skew everything. And I'm not saying that that right wing or white nationalist violence is on par with what Islamic terrorism has done historically. Mm -hmm. But over the last decade, what we've seen is an increasing amount of organization, online activity, and actual attacks. So 
And, and you're seeing the FBI and others saying, like, this is a real deal. Sure. Not, not for political motivations, right? And I think it's important that we set those aside. No, absolutely. Um, and so that's why I think, but but it's been hard to do that, right? It's it's hard to set this aside because of the, the political ramifications. Sure. Of it. So that's fine. Well, Realistically, the, and we're talking, this, is, this goes beyond the Trump administration, years yes, before that at absolutely. this point. So what is the root cause of that? What has given them the impetus to think that, there is something that you know emboldens yeah. them, or there's something that is a threat to whatever yeah. weird, psychotic, messed up version of, of life that they're living. Yeah. They, they think that their their way of life is under threat. What is that? Yeah, well, because it's not specifically Trump. It's not just he may Trump. have given voice to something. Yes, and the media certainly has given voice to something. Right. But what is the root cause of? That? And that's you're picking at like this idea of causality, which is really really important. And and it's easy for us to fall in the trap to say Trump is the causal factor that's driving all of this. Uh, that you know Trump caused this guy in El Paso to go do that. that, that no, that's we can't say that. There certainly is a connection. Trump is a megaphone. Uh, at times, he feels like a spokesman for those groups. And so we can talk about, you know, wh- what responsibility the president has to not say those things. Um, so shouldn't but, everybody because, have the responsibility so, to not say those yes, things? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> but especially, I'm going to yeah. I'm going to push back a little bit. Yeah. I want to call a little bit of bullshit. The man, like <laughs> a few weeks ago, got up at a rally in Florida, and someone in the crowd yelled, "Kill!" Like when he said something yeah. about, you know, what do you do about immigrants? And somebody yelled, "Shoot him!" And his response was, "Only in the panhandle, yeah. right?" I mean, the, the man bears responsibility sure. in yes. some way, right? Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. I'm not saying yeah. he doesn't bear responsibility. Like he he his rhetoric absolutely could be a factor for many many individuals now we can't know whether this one shooting was was a was a result of Trump's language but but for all those reasons Trump should curb that language he should be much more careful about it especially in light of this most recent violence where everybody around him should say you can't say that stuff now my my guess is if if he follows a pattern he's going to go right back to this stuff he'll let a week or so go by and he'll be saying this again and yeah there is tons he and tons of culpability I mean, he's already started today on Twitter. I mean, he made the speech yesterday. I mean, you pointed that out. He, mm-hmm. he got the location of the attack wrong. Toledo. As did Biden, right? So yes. Biden did the God, same this, thing. This but, is our future. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, today he was already on Twitter t- talking about how Obama didn't get blamed for the... I mean, he's he, that defensiveness is already kicking in, right? Mm-hmm. I just It's not going to stick. He's, he's just not a consoler, and he's just not going to play that role. He's not going to... It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. He, he does not have the moral standing to stand up in front of the country after events like this and and command an audience, right? He just doesn't have it. He's not authentic, even though the words were good. You know, if you and read that a, speech, but that's what, it's he, just, he, I'm, I'm just this is the me being yeah. pissed off coming out. I mean, <laughs> he it's not just that he doesn't have moral authority. It's that. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. We're breaking up a little bit. All right. So um, it's not just that he doesn't have moral authority. It's that he stood up after Charlottesville and said there are good people on both sides. It's that at his rallies, he gets he gets wide applause by talking about the invasion, Mexi- uh, the Mexican invasion. By I mean, it's, it's, it's that he doesn't have moral authority, but he especially doesn't have it on this issue. Yeah. I, no, he absolutely is culpable for everything that he has said. I'm not denying that anyway. My My point is that we've lost the ability to tamp down this extremely volatile volatile and and toxic rhetoric whether we're talking about trump or members of congress or especially the media when you have people out and outside we were talking about mitch mcconnell earlier outside of his house saying just stab the motherfucker in the heart and nothing happens to them or people on on any of the news channels 
actually saying that the Republicans want to exterminate brown people or Mexicans or uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Joaquin Castro putting a, 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 a list of, of Trump donors out there, his own constituents saying that we need to know who these people are and specifically tagging them in his post. That's a problem. We've lost the ability to just act normally around each other. And, and, we, and it's this constant need to bicker and fight and try to win and, and just stomp on the head of the, the, the opposition. There's, there's a severe problem beyond Trump. We, we've just lost our fucking minds. I would disagree with that, though. I, I, I do think we need to sit back and say, okay, what is, what is the most immediate threat, right? And, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, these white nationalist groups are a legitimate threat. Uh, and, and I think they're... I mean, Christopher Ray from the FBI came forward and he said, like, the number one domestic terrorist threat right now is is white nationalist groups. These are it is as uncomfortable as it is to talk about that. That is a real threat. Uh, and it doesn't mean that all the other rhetoric is also garbage. Nick, I, I agree with that. But in terms of violence and what as it's playing out, that there need to be more resources directed towards that. Uh, and I think there should be some some condemnation of the president's rhetoric for at minimum, not recognizing that he's 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 a megaphone for these groups. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We we talked uh, you know several a number of weeks ago. One of our last kind of funnish topics was this <laughs> debate about whether or not drug cartels could be considered terrorist organizations, right? And we had this discussion. I mean, this if we if we look at what has been happening, and you kind of referenced some of this earlier. This clearly fits the description of terrorism, right? I mean, targeting, I mean, he released a manifesto, right? So he's targeting a specific group for political reasons. He's targeting civilians, um, causing harm, trying to cause, you know, fear and terror for political gain. And the fact that that has been happening more and more often, but the, I mean, the part as a political scientist and you and I have, you know, talked about or written about terrorism um, before as well, um, is the extent to which there are weird, there are similarities with other terrorist groups. The ones that are familiar to Americans are, you know, Al Qaeda and ISIS. But all through, you know, throughout the second half of the 20th century, there have been these terrorist organizations. And what you see happening now is because of the internet. We've talked about social media and all the problems mm -hmm. involved. You're exactly right, Bill. There's there's there is um, organization that's starting to happen. People who are sort of discussing this stuff online. Um, you know, there's levels of collaboration and stuff that. That should be startling, right? If it were, if it were a, an Islamic terrorist group that were showing this early sign of organization and collaboration, we would be, it would be, you know, mm -hmm. it, at the top of our um, national security concern list. We should be just as concerned. What do you guys think of so Achan, this anonymous message board, which now is it was shut, not shut down, but they they pulled support and then it was back up and it's back down again. Mm -hmm. um, what's what's your read of what should happen to this? What are the logistics behind? I mean, can you I don't know. can you even shut something like this down? No, I, I mean this was pretty much the tactic that they use with with Alex Jones yeah. pulling his his um, server access right. away, which you know I, I YouTube you and are, Twitter and yeah yeah you're you're. I hate this argument. Yeah. You know, you're a, a private company and, you know, you have the right to do whatever you want with your technology and your infrastructure. But at the same time, you are curtailing speech. Mm -hmm. I, but there's some heinous shit out there. But just like there's heinous shit on, ha I mean, the, the, the kind of stuff that goes unnoticed on Twitter or Facebook that doesn't sure. get flagged, that doesn't get pulled down when you have Al Qaeda and ISIS and other related terrorist groups that have profiles sure. on those social media outlets it's it's insane I, I like I don't I I have no idea how you would how you would 
piece through that and separate that. Now, the the difference with with Achan is that it's all anonymous, right? So you're 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 at a level where you can't like when somebody's on YouTube or Twitter, there's a way to trace some of that back. Uh, not with Achan. What was it? The guy that who founded Achan, who's no longer part of it, has said like this is this is dangerous. It should be taken yeah, down. should be yeah. taken down. I, that's it's yeah. it's all dangerous. Yeah, though. like we can't. Uh, I, here's here's the be all end all yeah. of everything that I'm going to say today. Yeah. People are fucking stupid. Okay, we can't be trusted with this shit mm-hmm. because if we could, these should be the the greatest tools ever invented in the history of humanity. Bringing us together, solving problems with you know different ideas from around the world, and instead we want to murder each mm-hmm. other at every waking moment. I, I like I never ever look on social media, and I occasionally look on our stuff just to see you know what the mood is and you know our yeah. stuff is on there and it's just virulent just radioactive <laughs> bullshit from both sides it's terrible i, I like but, I, 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 go ahead phil i mean that seems like a pretty good argument for doing something about i mean I, you, you're you're sort of shutting down the two, internet i agree <laughs> <laughs> you're i mean you're expressing two sentiments that i am that that seem contradictory that i'm sympathetic to both of them right which is that we're we're doomed what you know what can we do about it this is this is existing but also that people are terrible and therefore we should do something about it it seems like i don't have a problem with hn being taken down I, it is a private company get rid of it i mean we've talked about on here before why you know how awful some of the stuff is that get that 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 facebook has sort of looked the other way on or that Twitter like Twitter the stuff that Twitter is on Twitter is 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 awful um yeah I mean shut it shut it down I mean this especially if it continues to if there continue to be the links between this again if you take the white terrorist part out and you plug in al-Qaeda if HN, if al-Qaeda was organizing a terrorist attacks in the United States that were even you know small scale that were resulting in the deaths of 20 30 people at a time and they were doing it on 8chan, there's no, no way in hell that we wouldn't be intervening yeah. in some way. And, and the reason why we treat it differently, because it's a, a white person versus you know, an Islamic terrorist, they, I, the, the ideology behind it might be different, but the, I mean, if the thing is law enforcement, you're trying to prevent this, we should be acting the same towards both of those. I agree with that. And there's been some effort to, or I should say the effort, a reluctance to throw support and funds toward those efforts. And I, I think you have to do it. I, I, I'm all for free speech. The dark web, I'm less supportive of, right? I mean, it just seems like there's... Why, if you don't like a good kidney every It's so dark. <laughs> if you're going to put your speech out there, you should put your speech out there in a way that at least there can be some connection to it, right? And, and this feels like we're pulling the... I think you're right, Nick, the ugliest parts of society on a whole host of issues. Together, they can finally connect with each other. I don't even think it's the ugliest parts, though. I, Go ahead, Phil. No, I was just—I was just saying you're—you're—you're—you're you're, you're giving them a place, and you're giving them cover, like you said, yeah. stuff that people wouldn't be confident enough or open enough to stay and say in public. Sometimes they are, but when you start to re- think that or, or connect with other people, you make it makes you more confident yeah. in acting on those those ideas. But that's yeah. the thing. Like I, I think that's that's a good point too. It's not even those the the you know the the darkest of of the dark elements. People just they act like animals mm-hmm. on there, like really good normal people who have good ideas and, and are, are, are intellectuals and should be able to have a discussion without or with anybody and it's just it's just this tribal just nonsensical constant bickering and, and howling at each other for no reason I like I, I know we plug the the social media stuff at the beginning of every episode and end of every 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 episode and I would never tell anybody to do something um, you know give up their Facebook to give up their Facebook 
I've given up mine. I will probably not look at Twitter ever again. I would highly suggest getting rid of all of it. It's not good for anybody. It's it's a terrible, terrible thing. And I'm not saying it couldn't be a good thing. I think we've gotten it. We've gotten too much too fast, and we haven't reckoned with with our own inner demons. Like we just don't like each other. It, it also speaks to the degree to which our our political dynamic right now is so toxic and. Uh missing any kind of real leadership when you've got extremist content out there you need a voice of clarity and usually that's the president or some other other voices of leadership and we've got none of that right now uh even when somebody makes a good point it's seen in a partisan lens like this this isn't a moment when you would really like to have a president speak truth to power to the country and and have it you know be an important lesson i I think obama's message I, i don't know if we so I thought Ted, Ted Cruz did a nice job, but I also thought Obama's message was really, really powerful about the importance of speech and rhetoric uh, and, and, and subtly calling out Trump. I mean, he doesn't want to directly call out Trump. I thought that was really, it felt like a presidential sure. content. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I guess my, my counter to that would be, um, now I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, the... It, 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 Trump is one thing. If mm-hmm. if if there is a, a lack of leadership from the executive branch or any part of the federal government, you would expect that the media would speak truth to power. But even when the New York Times, or I, I think it was the New York Times specifically, put out a story related to the, the shootings that some people saw as somehow pro-Trump, oh, yeah, you have... Were. AOC and members of Congress tearing apart the media, which yeah. was not—it was—it was a headline. It was poorly written, yeah. but it was a headline. No, they, God, they, they had t- that was. You're was, supposed to be our leadership, right? It was something about Trump's like call to unity, and that was the the nature of the headline. And I, I don't think it was a, a a great headline, but you're right. Like they gathered around it's and were just nipping at the New York Times constantly. Yeah. I'm sorry, Phil. I yeah, you had something earlier. <laughs> No, I think that point, I mean, I was going to make a separate point uh, because it, you've talked about Ted Cruz a couple of times, and I do think it's it's worth reiterating. I mean, there is a tendency because of the partisanship to and, and to, to point out that, you know, Ted Cruz has a bad record on this. You know, he's he has retweeted stuff. He has said stuff. He's, you know, back to the president. Um, and so I don't think we should forget those things. But I also think it's important when people, you know, there are a couple of people on, on Twitter talking about this this week, that when Ted Cruz comes around and does the right thing, then you should praise him for yeah, it, right? right? You should you should, you should should say, you know, good job, Ted Cruz. And, and, and so, you know, and then when he, if he turns around and changes his mind or whatever, then call him on yeah, it. But, right. but, you know, if you're wanting to, if you get rid of the, if you just view things through a partisan lens, then you're going to reject anything that Ted Cruz does that actually is in line with what you want. And, and we should be accepting and, and encouraging that when it happens. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. That may be a good point to transition to beers. Oh, God, yeah. please, yes. <laughs> so we can move away from race and guns and white nationalists. Phil, what are you, what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking... Um, I, the, I've had the last few weeks, I've been drinking beers from uh, Lone Pine Brewing Company, which is out of Portland, Maine. Um, and this week I'm having... I've, I had this one, I don't know, a month or so ago. Uh, it's their Brightside IPA. It's, it's an American India Pale Ale. I don't know what makes... I mean... I know what IPAs are. I know what American pale ales. I don't know what an American IPA is. Um, it, this was good. I, to be honest, I <laughs> so worked up in our gun discussion <laughs> that I've just been drinking beer and not really thinking about it. So for that purpose, it's been it's been great. <laughs> Nick, what do we have? I like that. Nick, what do we have? <clears throat> yeah, similar. Uh, we had a uh, Bodum. Yeah, Bodum? I'm guessing. Bodum. Yeah. 
IPA from uh, from Half Acre. I think it's one of their newer ones. One of their newer ones, and it's apparently going to be a staple. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're saying that they're leading with that. Um. Yeah. It was. It's it's not super overpowering. It had a, a tiny bit of sweetness to mm-hmm. it. Um, I, I liked it. Like we, we were talking before we started recording, most of their stuff is good. Yeah. Like I, I have, I've rarely had something bad from Half Acre. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's it's an IPA, so and not you know super different in that regard. Um, yeah, I liked it. It's it's good. It's a solid one. I, I like almost all of their beers. Mm-hmm. This was definitely more hoppy than their other ones, which makes sense for the IPA. Less citrusy than some mm-hmm. other IPAs. Um, I liked it a lot. I will say I like their other beers better, like the hmm. tuna and the what's the big one? I can't think of that now. But um, I like those their other beers a little better than this one. But again, a solid effort. Just half acre just just knows how to brew a beer. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's tasty. Yes. Um, yeah. If you guys want to check out the beers that we have on the podcast, uh, like I said at the beginning, just go to. Um, I'm just going to say predict it. Uh, uh, untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, look for Barstool Politics in there, and you will find all of our reviews, if I ever remember to put them on there. All right. So. Speed round, Nick. Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right, so time to talk currency devaluation. People Yay. love to talk about currency, right, Nick? <laughs> so. I like money. Yeah. So on Monday, the trade war between the United States and China entered a much more dangerous place as Beijing devalued its currency past the 7 to 1 ratio for the first time in more than a decade. Not pulling any punches, China blamed the currency fall on Mr. Trump's, quote, unilateralism and trade protectionism measures and the imposition of increased tariffs on China, unquote. In addition, China halted uh, additional purchases of American farm goods. President Trump signaled that he was looking for new and innovative ways to retaliate. The markets did not like this at all as Wall Street suffered its worst day of the year. The escalating trade war is approaching the point where it could lead to a severe economic slowdown or even a recession. Phil, we may just be political scientists, but when I see the economists at the water cooler or coffee pot, uh, they are uniformly worried about this trade war. Should I sell my 401k right now and put it all in bananas? Yes. Okay. Yes. I would I do, like to see you do that. I do like bananas, and they have a staying power, right? Uh, um, I mean, the the answer. I mean, I, we are not qualified to give yeah. financial advice, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no. I mean, but but this is in the short term. This is going to be bad, right? Yeah. I mean, I think this is, I, and you see this in in a number of ways. I mean, from the just economic standpoint, I I think this is actually maybe one of the biggest factors going into the presidential election because there are lots of signs pointing towards the fact that we are heading towards a recession if not like already on that um, path Uh, you know the Fed lowered interest rates trying to spur on the economy I mean, this seems like the logical end of a continuously escalating trade war between us and one of our largest trading partners and, and many of our other trading partners. You know, for when and if you look at the history of U.S.-Chinese relations, China has always had their currency undervalued. I mean, we've talked about this. This is one of the big, you know, this is one of the big, uh, you know, this is one of the advantages they have and one of the reasons why people properly critique them as being unfair trade players. But we have gotten so entangled with a China with an undervalued currency that there's not a whole lot we can do about it. If China, incre- you know, like floats their currency to the proper level, that's going to lead to a large inflation in the cost of Chinese goods in the U.S., which makes up a big part of the American economy. Um, but it also means that you know this China has the power to do this. China, as an authoritarian, I mean, when you when you essentially devalue your currency, the people who are going to be hurt by that are Chinese consumers, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, but China is an authoritarian country. They can do this for essentially the good of the larger economy. Um, I, this seems to me, I mean, this has seemed misguided to me for from the beginning, but it seems like this is a time for Trump to cut his losses. Yeah. I, it just doesn't seem like this is going to, I mean, China feels like they can ride this out. They know that there's an election in another little over a year. Um, China's got the long view of this. And, and I, yeah, I mean, China, I, I was surprised by this. Something like 20% of American agricultural exports go to China. Yeah. So when China says we're going to quit buying agricultural products, that's not that's a small a thing. That's hit. a huge blow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I, this, this is, this doesn't seem good. Right? <laughs> this is not going to end well for us or the American economy or I, I, I don't know. Nick. All your money in bananas, man. <laughs> There's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> Finally makes an appearance. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I tend to be with you on this one, Phil. I'm, I'm not sure what a, a positive outcome of this would even look like at this point. Um, you know, the, 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 there was talk of, of the U.S., you know, doing uh, um, similar currency manipulation, which, you know, Trump immediately shot down and most of his, his advisors did. But China just has never really played by the rules, um, which is disconcerting at best. Um, I, I think that, um, yeah, they're, they're as an, an authoritarian government, which they are, despite what people say, um, they can do whatever they want. I, I think that there is their economy is in the midst of a potential slowdown as well um one that they probably have not seen in in decades at this point given that they have manipulated their currency and and propped up um economics in in ways that are are not natural in any way shape or form <clears throat> and i think if that hits the fan um sooner rather than later you're going to see an increasing amount of, of discontent in China. We already see, yeah. uh, you know, we'll talk about it later about um, Hong Kong, Hong Kong yeah. uh, and the unrest there that that's increasing. Um, if there's a major economic downturn uh, in mainland China, which uh, most of, of the citizens have never really been a part of, I, I think that could be a a, a, a strong indicator or or um, uh, engine for change in that sure. country. Yeah, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. A couple things. So Dan Dresner, who's a international relations professor at Tufts University, had this really interesting piece where he talked a little bit about currency manipulation, and he said how most of us talk about it is not accurate. And some of the like the experts are saying Fuck that you no, talking no, to me about I'm kidding. no 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 no. <laughs> no but the idea that that yes, China manipulates their currency, but at the same time, the United States oftentimes asks them to do one or the other, right. like you know, value or devalue, and it's it's a bit hypocritical. The other interesting thing he talked about is that it feels like we've gotten past the point of no return here, that the, that the domestic politics in both states have taken over. So Trump is using this for his domestic political purposes, and President Xi is also using this for political purposes to attack the United States. And that just spells all sorts of disaster when two states for not good economic reasons, but for political reasons, are willing to engage in this battle. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not good. So I, the thing I think of it, when you talk about this is, is um, you know, as international relations, this is we're citing all 
the IR stuff yeah. now. I think of two-level games, right? Yeah. So that's Robert Putnam, right? So yep. two-level games is the idea that when when Donald Trump is making a deal in foreign policy or he's trying to negotiate with China or whatever, he's playing two games at the same time. One is the international game, you know, him versus China, but one is the domestic game, which is him versus the American people, right? So, um, and and the power of a of a country to do something internationally or to win this game of chicken that's going on right now is somewhat dependent on their support back at home. And and so that's where I, I see what Dresner is saying, but it feels like China can hold out in this game of chicken longer than, than the U.S. So I think you're right. It has become a domestic politics thing. But if the economy erodes enough, then it becomes a losing political um, stance for Trump. And that's where I, I see it, it potentially shifting. And that's where I see the American end shifting or, or you know, jumping off sure. of the, the, you know, the tractor in the Footloose example um, uh, before Footloose, the... Arrested <laughs> Development. We're doing good work here. The one thing I think about is that you're, you're absolutely right, that I think China can last longer, although to Nick's point, when the, it comes, it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. Trump is going to continue to throw money at the farmers, right? He's, he suggested that, and he was tweeting about that today. So he's willing to do whatever he can, you know, in this sort of socialist plan of his to throw billions of dollars at farmers mm-hmm. to keep them afloat, which, you know, if, if it wasn't for that. The farmers are getting devastated with some of those well, consummate conservatives. Yeah, and that has that has that has sort of worked up to this point. Although there's lots of evidence that farmers are getting tired of that shit as well. Yeah. But as it, I think what's going to happen though is it's going to spread beyond farmers. Right mm-hmm. now, that you're exactly right. When your 401k starts dipping because yes. the you know the stock market's plunging because of this, that's when it's you know people are going to you know more people are going to sit up and pay attention. The other part about this, and I know we've gone too long, is that. Um, the, the other reason why it seems the whole thing seems kind of wrong headed to me is that China, yes, China doesn't play fair, but there were all lots of indications that it was going to be with a little more time, less of an issue. So the amount of the American economy that's tied up with China has actually been decreasing a little bit in recent years. And that's because as China has gotten wealthier, it's made more sense to to go other places in terms of trade. And so you've seen mm-hmm. diversification where, you know, throughout Southeast Asia and Central America and other places um, uh, where uh, the U.S. economy is essentially less tied to this one significant trading partner. Um, and it feels like, you know, given some time, then then China's hold over the U.S. would have been a little bit less. And, and so launching into this game of chicken, um, in the short term, maybe I, that's where I think, you know, are the costs really worth it? I, I'm not I'm not convinced. I, I, I would agree with that in, in most situations. The only caveat that I would have about that is China is, it, you know, they're, they're not dumb. They're they're under the same, you know, working under the same uh, assumption and, and system. The difference with them is they don't give a shit about human rights or fair wages or anything like that. We've already or seen elections. them or elections yeah. or anything that we would be concerned about going to those other countries, most of which surround China. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I do think that it would have diversified global trade a little bit in a few years, but not necessarily in our favor. I think it would have diversified in, in China's favor more than anything. We've already, see, already seen them move a lot of production out of mainland China into Vietnam or Cambodia or areas around Southeast Asia before the U.S. could, you know, e- even blink, you know, get enough infrastructure in place um, to make a difference on top of, again, trying to at least put up the the uh, perception that we care about human rights and fair right. wages and whatnot. It's, just, it's a tricky one. Good thing there's China. always money in the banana stand. Always money right. in the banana stand. All right, let's jump to India. So, 
<laughs> on Monday, on Monday, India's Hindu nationalist government unilaterally wiped out the local government autonomy of the Kashmir region and sent in thousands of armed troops to quell any possible unrest. Kashmir is the disputed territory between India and Pakistan that has been the source of much conflict and war. Indian authorities severed internet connections, mobile phone lines, and even landlines. What? Yeah, I know, casting Kashmir into an information black hole that made it very difficult to discern what was actually unfolding. For that's ye- what you want, Nick. Right? That's, <laughs> that's what right. you want to happen here in the U.S. A black hole. You That'll joke. That'll solve the, the, the social media thing. <laughs> ravens. Everyone's using ravens. ravens I like that. Uh, for years, India's Hindu nationalists have wanted to curtail the special freedoms enjoyed by a Kashmir, by, by Kashmir, a mountainous and predominantly Muslim territory. This has the potential to reignite conflict between India and Pakistan, who both, by the way, wield nuclear weapons. Hey. Yeah, Phil, uh, the Indian government released a statement saying that this was, quote, a purely administrative and intended to improve good governance and deliver socioeconomic justice to the disadvantaged sections of the people in the state, unquote. That's brilliant. Are you buying that? And what should our listeners take away from this action by India in Kashmir? Uh, yeah, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take away all of your phone service, internet access, all of this, uh, but it's for your own good. Um, yeah, that's that's not uh, that's not right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this is, uh, you know, India has a. I, I'm not. This is not my area of expertise uh, by any means. But uh, you know, India has this again Hindu nationalist streak that's that's uh, going on. I mean, not. The tension between India and Pakistan is long-standing, right? It's been around for a long time. But the parties in power, the the politics of India has shifted in a in a startling way. And and I think you know we've talked about how certain leaders, uh, we've talked about it with the U.S. to some extent, how they benefit from conflict, right? They benefit from these sort of tensions. And and so, I you know I'm I'm not alarmed in the like this is going to explode this week necessarily but i think this is something that americans should be concerned about and should be i mean in the in the panoply or the in the you know the large scale picture if we're looking at the you know the portfolio of things to be concerned about if you're thinking about iran and north korea the 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 standoff between two countries that have long not liked each other um, and who both have nuclear weapons because of the other right the, the whole purpose of developing nuclear weapons for each of them was to uh, keep the other in check um, and and who have gone to war many times over the past sixty years? Um, yeah, I mean we we should be concerned about mm-hmm. this. We should be concerned about the extent to which India might actually want that to happen. The, you know the confrontation and the and the the conflict over Kashmir. That's all I have to say. Okay. And <laughs> scene. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, Nick. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, again, we, we were briefly talking about this before we started recording. These are two countries that since um, since Pakistan's uh, inception uh, after World War II, um, during the partition, have th- this is such a a deep seated and and, you know, religious and, and, and nationalistic uh, conflict that doesn't seem to have any uh, any. I don't want to say any any way to end, but no reasonable way to end at this point. Mm. Um, there doesn't seem to be a willingness anymore on either side to um, negotiate with the other. Um, and Kashmir is constantly stuck in the middle. And and to take, you know, the the, the landline take their landlines land away. Anymore. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> are, are people are people in Kashmir actually using landlines? <laughs> I thought they 
use a lot of it's mountainous it is mountainous (laughs) (laughs) it it just it it just yeah it 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 screams of of pettiness and and in 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 some ways to to phil's point uh kind of spoiling for a fight and and i don't i cannot fathom a strategic uh, uh um reasoning to do this at this point but besides to to instigate some sort of conflict in some ways, it connects nicely back to our previous topic where Phil brought up this idea of, of two-level games and Robert Putnam and doing it for domestic reasons. So Modi, the prime minister, he's not doing this for peace or, you know, uh, you know, an improved relationship with Pakistan. He's doing it for domestic political reasons. plays well. Yeah, exactly. And it will lead to conflict. And it, it, India is the world's biggest, most diverse democracy. It has been this success story. And suddenly, as I look at this, this feels like another case of, of, of populism around the world. We've talked a lot about populist leaders in democracy having success. Here's another example where a populist leader is engaging in what is an anti-democratic move. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 not like India is becoming an authoritarian regime, but this is certainly a step in that <clears throat> direction. It's, it's a step away from democracy. It's wildly popular among his base, and it might lead... To conflict, and I don't think it's going to lead. I would hope it wouldn't lead to nuclear war. But again, you've got a, a political actor saying this is in my interest to pursue activity that increases the odds of conflict with a nuclear adversary. Mm-hmm. It's 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 bonkers, mm-hmm. but at a domestic level, it makes sense. It's really disturbing. But, but, and, and and it's that neither one of them may want that that outcome, right? right? Mm-hmm. But they they. By stepping towards it, they benefit themselves. But by stepping towards it, you... I mean, that's how it escalates yeah. and how these mistakes happen. And, and it's, it's, it's your point, Nick. Uh, Pakistan also bears a lot of responsibility for this, for not cracking down on uh, terrorist organizations and groups on mm-hmm. that border who continue to go in and intentionally cause strife and struggle within within India. So, And then India overreacts. I mean, it, it feels like we have the same conversation about the Middle East, you know, about South Asia. It's just, yeah. That's, that's my question. So... Uh, as we see more and more of this, this populist sentiment, this nationalist sentiment, um, is this is this the the legacy of the spread of of democracy and and globalism around the world? Because it seems like the more that we we see these institutions kind of crumble around us um, and most of of the rest of the world, it seems like people are tired of the the necessity to kind of negotiate through things. It would much rather see. An actual change, like there, like we were talking about, uh, India and Pakistan have been at war since, you know, since Pakistan was created, and even prior to that, when the yeah. two populations were combined in India, um, I, I can see, I can understand the sentiment with a lot of different areas around the world, where they're talking about um, Southeast Asia or the Middle East, Latin America, Latin Venezuela, America. I mean, all of it. Yeah, excuse me, I'm burping. Yeah. Um, that they're just they're they're tired of having to play this game at this yeah. point, um, and I, I wonder if that if any of these things escalate to a point where there is no turning back anymore, because um, it seems like we're very close in, in in a lot of different situations. And what's really troubling about all of that is that democracy is eating itself, right? Democracy is is allowing itself to be hijacked. It's and, very salty. Yeah, it, right, to to move in these really dangerous directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I hope it's not the legacy of democracy. I hope we find a way to 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 reach a better balance. But it, it's it's really really concerning. Mm-hmm. I see. I wonder if it's um, 
less about democracy and more about the sort of promises of the international order that mm-hmm. were made in the last 70 years. Yes. And that it's not it's not that they're abandoning democracy. It's that democracy is expressing this outrage over the promises that were. And we've talked about this, the yeah. hypocrisy of U.S. Yeah. foreign policy and not standing up for human rights. And, you know, it's about bottom dollar and other things like that. Uh, you know, I think some of this is that is the backlash towards that. Right. The the unfulfilled it's, you know, kind of buyer's remorse. Now, that That's not I'm not saying that the kind of liberal, not like small L liberal, you know, international order, the post-war order of World War II. I'm not saying that that the ideas behind that are wrong. I like the ideas behind that. But the 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 um, execution of those ideas have been have left a lot to be desired. Right. And I think some of that, you know, you see places around the world who are who are, it's you know, with the with the European Union and other places where people are kind of lashing out against what sort of what they were promised versus what they got out of it. It, it created this space for populist leaders like this to emerge and seize upon identity issues, nationalism, and have a whole lot of success. No, I think that's a great yeah. point. That's yeah. great. I'm glad we agree it was the liberals' fault. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> all right, let's, let's come back and talk about some Republicans. So, Nick, we're running out of Republicans. Uh, Republican uh, Kenny uh, Marchant false, we are millions. <laughs> said Monday that he will not seek re-election to represent his Dallas area district, leaving open a third Texas House seat. There's a Texidus. Um... <laughs> Heavily targeted by Democrats in 2020. Marchant's announcement comes days after Representative Will Hurd, also from Texas, announced that he would not seek re-election in a sprawling... That one hurts. What's that? That one hurts. It Will does. Hurt. He was good. He yeah. was good, yes. And he was, he was, he's the only black Republican in the House, right? Yeah. Or in... Or in the House or the Senate, Senate. or in the governorship. Like right. In nationwide, yeah. That's not so good. Yeah. Uh, so he's also not seeking re-election. All, and so another uh, is not as well. All three men won uh, by 2018 by five percentage points or less. Um, as is usual in these cases, uh, they said they were looking forward to spending more time with their family and starting a new chapter in their life. Uh, Marchant's departure brings the total to 11 House Republicans who are not seeking re-election. If we are reading the tea leaves, this would suggest that Republicans are not excited about their prospects in 2020. Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy cautioned not to misread the meaning of all these retirements and that Republicans were still fully planning on taking back the House. Phil, if we learned anything in graduate school, it said politicians never willingly give up their power, <laughs> ever. What are we to make of all these Republicans wanting to spend more time with their family? Um, I, I, so I think uh, there's, a, there's a couple of thoughts that I have on this, a couple of kind of theories. One of which is, um, I've seen a couple of people make this point in the last week. Um, one of which is about kind of large scale changes that are happening to the way government happens in the US, which is that there is less and less uh, ability for an individual lawmaker to make much of a difference. It used to be that, you know, it was really kind of, but, but now the strengthening of sort of party leadership, not in the old school kind of behind closed doors, smoky room kind of way. But in the extent, I mean, you look at the Senate right now, the extent to which Mitch McConnell can essentially control, you know, what comes before the the Senate and what the Senate's going to sort of vote on. So one individual member has less ability to kind of influence the House in general than they used to. So I think that's a something to think about with this the, kind of the direction that American politics are going in on a on a smaller scale. Uh, from through a through a lens of looking at the smaller scale, uh, yeah, this this is this is these are Republicans who I think a couple of things are happening. I mean, Will Hurd is a person who has spoken out against Donald Trump. He's been you know he's one of those 
this is, you know, ex- revealing my bias to some extent, um, one of those kind of principled Republicans who has, you know, said he, he hasn't left the Republican Party, but he's been very outspoken about how Trump is not representative of what he thinks the Republican Party should be. So I think some of it is disillu- disillusionment from some of these members. But I think also it shows that uh, if they don't have the ability as an individual to influence things and their party is not going to control the House, then there's really then, then kind of what's right. the purpose of being here. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think it does say something about the the the, the likelihood of a Republican takeover, which is in, in the House. I mean, the fact that it's the the more interesting question to me is that four of the of the people who have left have been Texas Republicans. Mm-hmm. I and mean, we've talked a lot about Texas and its prospects. Um, I saw somebody pointed out that of all the congressional districts that. What was it? It was. They were Hillary districts that Republicans won. So Hillary won mm-hmm. the presidential side, but a Republican won the, I think that's what it was. Um, all but one of them, all but one of those Republicans has, is done. Like they're, they're leaving or, or not running for office again or has retired or whatever. So um, there's, there's something, you know, this is kind of that question of, are we, you know, how in play is Texas? Like what sort of change is actually happening there? Um, and, and that I feel less confident in speaking towards, but the fact that so many Texas Republicans are, are kind of bailing is, is maybe, yeah. maybe a sign. Sure. Mm-hmm. Texas, Nick. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think Phil can hit the nail on the head on a, on a lot of those points. I, I would say that <clears throat> some of it is related to, to Trump and what he's, he's kind of brought about in the party. A lot of it is related to the, complete lack of, of uh, individual responsibility and ability to affect change uh, on the part of members of Congress. I think a lot of it is uh, more so than just uh, the, um, the the party itself. I think people are are disgusted with the system as a whole. I, as the much poli- as the politicians do. The politicians, yeah, are, yeah that, that I think is as much as, you know, the, the prevailing thought is politicians never, ever give up power, ever. I think we're seeing a, a point in, in history, in, in, in U.S. history specifically, when they don't want that power anymore. There, there's, there's the machine kind of runs on its own, and there's a, a group of people that have an agenda and don't want to lose, and there's another group of people who have an agenda and also don't want to lose, and it has nothing to do with the individual needs or wants of your particular constituents, um, which realistically we've never seen to this extent uh, in, in the history of, of this country before, um, which is exceedingly depressing, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and I, I wonder, I, I'm, I'm not really convinced that this signals a, a drastic change in um, the, the, the power dynamic in, in Texas, because I think the, the powers that still want to maintain control will do whatever they, they can by any means necessary to maintain that control or to overtake what is already there. Um, personally, I think the Republicans will hang on to it. But it, it says something that as many people are, are leaving for kind of unspecified reasons. And I, I, I in, in, in my heart of hearts, I don't think all of it is specifically related to Trump. I think the system is just fundamentally broken, in their opinion. As, you know, I was listening to both of you guys. It reminded me of Trey Gowdy, Republican from, where was he from? I can't remember. But, but he, he, when he left office... He basically talked about how this is a terrible job. 
he, you know, he came to DC thinking he could make change and, and, and have a real impact. And he said, I don't. I end up in these terrible debates. I have no influence. And he was a, a, a relatively powerful individual within the Republican Party. The other thing, and I know we got to go on. Uh, so with Will Hurd leaving, so the, you know, the, the last African-American Republican leaving the party, and a number of the other people who are leaving the House or not running for re-election are women. So a situation mm-hmm. that's also developing is the Republican Party is getting less diverse and... Uh, fewer women, fewer people of color, more white men running. That is not good for the Republican Party. Right. If the Republican Party becomes a party of white men, that is not sustainable over the long term. And I, I, I hope that people, I hope the party finds a way to diversify because it's not good for the country and it's not good for the party. But the Republican Party is just straight white men at this point. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's, That's right. what we've been told. I don't That's understand. Right. Well, should, they're fulfilling that prophecy, right? That, that's not good. Um, yeah. All right, let's jump international again and talk about Hong Kong. Anti-government protests in uh, protesters in Hong Kong mounted their biggest challenge to the authorities on Monday, disrupting airline flights, occupying malls, and blocking roadways and rail lines. Protesters largely succeeded in halting daily life in the highly organized and semi-autonomous Chinese territory. Monday was the third consecutive day of large-scale civil disobedience intended to increase pressure on the government. This is Hong Kong's worst political crisis since since 1997, when it was returned to Chinese rule after more than 150 years as a British colony. The protest began nearly two months ago in response to legislation since suspended that would allow criminal suspects to be extradited back to mainland China, where courts are controlled by uh, Beijing. Um, It's also expanded to a variety of other grievances, including uh, direct elections and accusations of excessive force by the police. On Tuesday, a Chinese official condemned the protesters, saying they had, quote, exceeded the scope of free assembly and warned, quote, all the criminals to not wrongly judge the situation and take restraint for weakness. Wow. Yikes. Yes. Phil, these protesters have proven quite resilient. What's your read on this this movement? This is getting really, really fascinating. It is really interesting, and I don't know, I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, these are this is, I think, the these these things can be unpredictable. Um, I, my initial thought is, well, China, as we've talked about, you know, large, powerful, not all that concerned with human rights. Like this is going to get squashed, right? Think Tiananmen Square, um, but. I also think there's a chance that the Chinese government misreads this. Um, you know, this is this is not the the way you handle protesters in mainland China. Uh, the people of of Hong Kong are going to react differently. The people of the world might, in fact, sadly, react differently to to this. I, um, and and I saw you know I, there was a there was a clip going around. I don't know if either of you saw it, in which they, I think it was British TV. There was a an exchange between a Chinese official and this British official, and the British official was trying to point out the nature of the agreement between the you know the handover and was sort of like in, implying that Britain still you know has a role to play here. And and the Chinese official's response was essentially, uh, once you handed it over to us, like you're you know you, Britain has nothing to do with this. Go screw yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And and so that approach. I, that sort of confidence or arrogance from the Chinese officials I could, in fact, backlash. I mean, that could could uh, backfire. And I think about, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union or the collapse of the, this. There are times where there's some tipping point that has reached that people don't see coming. And and so I, this one is really it's really interesting to me. I mean, the, the ability of the people to stand up to a big government. And, and the, again, the, I think. The fact that it's playing out in Hong Kong instead of other places in China means it's somehow different um, in, in a way that I, I again, I don't I don't know which way it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Nick, are you as fascinated about this as I am? I am fascinated <laughs> by this. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's a good point. Um, it, it will be their response over the next few weeks will be will be interesting, yes. to say the least. <clears throat> um, you know, like Phil pointed out, this this is this is a different animal than than mainland China and and, and you know the the ruling communist party uh, in Beijing. Um, and China doesn't seem to be interested in that. And and while Britain may no longer play a, a massive political role in that, they still play a massive economic role in that, which is, frankly, where a lot of the initial um, uh, wealth came uh, after the, uh, the turnover. And if those businesses start leaving Hong Kong and probably in turn China at that point, again, that's, that's leading to or, or filtering into an already not prevailing, but creeping economic uh, slowdown that, again, China has not really seen in, in decades at this point, um, which, in my opinion, would exacerbate a, 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 um, uh, the, the problem of, of civil unrest. And China isn't really good with dealing with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if they have the patience to deal with this uh, long term and to find a... A, a measured uh, political diplomatic solution, because um, it already seems like they're they're running out of running out of talking points with the international media. It's it, you know for me as I was thinking about this, I was surprised by the tenacity of the protesters. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. thought is like, don't stir the pot. You know, you've got you've what they got a hundred years or what? What is it? The time frame? Just be enjoy. Such a good drone, right? But then yeah. I thought about it a little bit, and to go back to international relations theory, I was thinking about power transitions theory, and in that theory, they say, in in you know when when major powers are transitioning, you need to hit when you have an advantage. And Hong Kong, right now, even though they're not more powerful than China. They have some leverage, right? Mm-hmm. They are autonomous. The financial district is really, really meaningful. Uh, as time goes by, their relative power to China is going to decrease and decrease. The tension goes away. So maybe they're hitting while they still have some leverage and some power to say, no, we're going to make sure that you understand the nature of this relationship. It may not work, mm-hmm. but it is a bit encouraging for the prospects of democracy. The the part that I find interesting is that, you know, I've, we've, or I've made reference to the game of chicken several yeah. times. This feels like another example of that in which um, China is in a tough place as well, because, I, you know, if China were to crack down on this, it's different today. Uh, what 30 30 years later than Tiananmen Square um, yeah. the the um, you know because of we, we talked about the bad side of internet and social media and all of that this is sort of the good side right China would have a harder time getting away with a brutal crackdown than it did 30 years ago just because of the availability of media and you know of, of individual right that people can film stuff and, and put it out there so China's ability to just squash this seems limited but if China doesn't squash it, then you have you get into contagion effect yes. issues in mm-hmm. which like do people in mainland China start taking sing, you know, take taking, uh, you know, uh, whatever signs from from Hong Kong and they start protesting. That's where things can spill out, spin out of control. And so, like I said, when I read that about don't take our you know restraint as weakness, I, I see like a, a China that like 
it seems like years ago, China wouldn't have felt the need to make a vague threat. They just would have done something. And so it feels like they, they feel like they need to do something, but they're not, they, you're right. They can't quite do what they would normally do. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, I don't, I don't know how they back down, Yeah, yeah. but I don't know how they follow through either in this place, in this position. Think about what they're doing in the Uyghur, with the Uyghurs in Western China. They are not being delicate at all in that circumstance, right? right? They are exerting their power and squashing a rebellion, but they're, less comfortable doing that now um yeah no it is it's 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 an interesting one Mm -hmm. all right guys time to play who had the worst week rand paul or a brazilian gang leader you guys know the rules i give you two options and you tell me which individual (laughs) had the worst week option number one rand paul paul announced on monday that he had surgery over the weekend to remove part of his lung part of his lung nick that was damaged in a 2017 attack when a neighbor tackled him as he did yard work if you go back you remember we talked about this uh paul noted that he uh that he will have to limit his legislative activity until september as he recovers at his home in bowling green kentucky uh he was awarded five hundred eighty thousand dollars in damages in a lawsuit he filed against his neighbor who pled guilty to felony assault uh, in the attack, Paul suffered broken ribs and came down with pneumonia, which kept him out of Washington for almost two what? weeks. Why did the neighbor attack him again? It was about lawn care. <laughs> they were angry about, like, apparently Ron Paul does not keep his yard up. And there were lawn oh. clippings and other things around, and he just had it. And wasn't he was on his tractor when the yeah. neighbor came and just, like, tackled yeah. him and mm-hmm. a piece of his lung removed. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a bad week. All right. <laughs> yeah. Option number two, the Brazilian gang leader. A Brazilian gang leader tried to escape from prison by impersonating his teenage daughter, complete with lifelike silicone mask and wig, before attempting to walk out the front door in her place after she visited him. The attempt by the prisoner, uh, Claudio de Silva, also known as Shorty, was thwarted by guards. Now, the best part is that we've got a picture, and yes, I promise we will tweet it out. So, gentlemen... Who had the worst week? Phil, we'll start with you. <laughs> All right, this is this this one's easy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, Ron Paul had the worst week because he had part of his lung removed. Yes. But here's here's the other part of it. Um, my the other side of it is that the Brazilian gang leader. I, I mean. He got caught and sent back to prison, so he didn't, you know, like it it wasn't all that bad. But I'm going to argue that he had a damn good week. He almost escaped from prison (laughs) by putting on like a Mission Impossible style mask Mm -hmm. and sneaking out. He actually got like, you know, a sniff of fresh air. Yeah, that's a that's a that is he almost got away with it. And he had that's a story that you can tell for the rest of your life. That's a, he he had a good week. That's a good week. Nick, who had the better week? I gotta go with that one too. Yeah. 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 Rand Paul I God, having a part of your lung removed. For like I my initial when I read that story initially, I go, it's gotta be over something he said or some sort of politically motivated thing. No, it's about your lawn clippings <laughs> and because your neighbor's an asshole. No, you just had a bad week and now it's permanently affected your health. Um, he had a bad week. I would say he had a really, really bad week. This other guy, uh, again, like we were talking about, apparently the mask was so convincing that the guards didn't notice anything until they looked directly into his eyes, which, you know, I, I mean, looking at the picture, again, we, we said, we'll tweet it. It's really, really it's convincing. Good. It's really good. Yeah. He got to wear jeans. He's got a nice top on, a little hoodie thing, a nice wig. He's, I mean, he had a good day. He had a very fashionable day until the, <laughs> you know, re-imprisonment thing. Where, where did he get the mask in prison? 
That's a good question. I'm assuming his daughter would have had to have brought it Can in. Can you right? smuggle something like that in? Well, I'm assuming it was baked in a cake. There you go. It's always <laughs> baked in a cake next yeah. to the, the file. So, okay, I'm going to take the opposite argument here because Rand Paul is going to be back in September. This guy's he's clearly gone for a long, long time now. Like, whatever, you know, as a, as a Brazilian gang leader I'm, ge- leader, I'm guessing the sentence is a long one to start with. And then trying to sneak out, it's going to extend it. So, you know, come September, he's still in jail. Rand Paul is back to being Rand Paul, you know, legislator, bad neighbor, right? I mean, it was, you know, it's a setback, but he's going to be okay. Gang so leaders. if your neighbor came up to you and just started punching and pummeling you into the ground and you had to have part of your lung taken bad, out? Bad week. Would you, would you tell people that that was the worst week of your life? It's worse. It's not worse than a gang leader almost getting out of jail and then having to be brought back. This guy had the plan of the century. This is brilliant. I feel like he got to execute part of it, though. Part of execution is getting out. Ah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. The disappointment of not getting out. You know this guy. All he's been thinking about, you know, he's probably doing special exercises to to make his abs look. I mean, he was, you know, he was. I don't know. I'm not seeing a lot of ab exercises there. I'm also I, noticing a lot of leg hair on that. So they apparently didn't look that closely, unless that's part of the picture. That's right. Either way, it's disturbing. I love that he has flip flops and rolled up jeans. What the hell, dude? I still want to know what 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 was going to happen as part of this plan to the daughter who is in prison, right? Where he while well, he snuck out looking like her, right? <laughs> like what, what was there a fit end to the plan in which she also got out? Was he just sacrificing her? Right, that's a good question. Right, uh, yeah. How does she get out of this? Maybe she wasn't in on the plan. Maybe she didn't he's, smuggle the mask in. Yeah, he's not winning any Father of the Year awards. Definitely not. What do yeah. you make a, a silicone mask out of in prison? It's got to be her, right? There's human no materials. Skin. Like human skin, <laughs> Tooth- toothbrushes, <He> buffalo building. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was fun. Uh, we're not even going to bother with five minutes <laughs> yeah. on that one. Uh, God. All right. Well, that was a good way to end because the first part was deep. Yes. It's been, we, need, we need a good week of just sort of normal political silliness and, you know, asshattery. Oh, so. God. We're real good at that stuff. Yeah. We do lots of asshattery. Um, as I stall for time. Are you playing now? You're, you're playing now. You're, yeah. That's a good boy. There we go. Um on that note, if you guys uh, like the podcast, have uh, questions, comments, uh, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter, which I told you to get off of, but it is your choice because you are proud, free American citizens, so do whatever the hell you want. Um, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P O L, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers we try. Uh, check out Untapped on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics on there and you'll find all of our reviews. Uh, the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. And like I said at the beginning, we are partnered with uh, Predict It. I lost my sheet of paper, um, which is a real money political prediction market. Pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy or sell shares in future political events. Barstool Politics listeners who use the promo link when opening up a new account will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. Uh, so open up a $20 account and Predict It will match that $20, giving you $40 to use. Uh, like I said, use the uh, promo link predicted.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul2020 and check it out. Anything else, guys? No, it was a good one. God, I hope there's something fun, like more fun, main topic-wise to talk about next week. (laughs) There's always hope, Nick. There's always hope, but only somewhat. Anyways, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. 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 Bye.